Welcome to Movie Madness. I'm your host, Andrew Nunes, and with me today is my longtime friend and frequent collaborator, John Hughes. John, how are you? Not bad. Great to be here. All right. So we have talked about this for quite a long time, uh, toxic fandoms and fandoms essentially getting everything they could want by just a Twitter campaign. Um, more recently that most people know about is the Snyder Cut, which started as a, tw- a Twitter trend, a hashtag of just release the Snyder Cut because Zack mm-hmm. Snyder went out and said that it was a four-hour cut or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that movement you know, gained traction, and then with AT&T and Time Warner releasing HBO Max, um, the Snyder Cut became a big focusing point for them, and they've, they had agreed to finish the product, essentially, and release it. And so we live in a world now where a fandom got a whole new film, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of want to know your thoughts. Yeah, so we do we do live in a world now which is interesting as, you know, filmmakers to you know, I guess now you can put out a product and it can be poorly received and now you can just say, "Sorry, we'll do it again." And the the fans sort of just get their way. And whether or not we want to make the case for whether or not that's good or bad for studios is a whole different sort of, you know, money end of things conundrum that producers and such would have to think about. But, you know, as like creators and as, you know, casual viewers ourselves, I I think it's important to kind of discuss from both sides. I think personally, uh, fans are getting way too much power. And I think everybody gets a platform now and anybody can say, I don't like this. And when enough people bandwagon onto it, that's when we get things like, hey, let's release the Snyder Cut because people weren't happy with the Justice League movie we put out. And, you know maybe streaming service gave them the opportunity to do that but i think in a in a vacuum it's not sustainable to have you know the fans just outcrying for we didn't like it so give us something better mm-hmm. and you know that seemed to be as someone who's not as invested in the tentpole superhero movies because i'm just not into that content i look at it from the outside in and i go are you really going to like, are, are you as a studio or a director or a creative going to just seek to pacify fans to keep bringing in money? And of course, the answer is yes. Right. But at what at what point? And I think that's going to be the sort of overarching point that I'd like to make, whether it's we talk about the Snyder Cut or any of the other films we're going to talk about today. You know, at what point do, does this whole conundrum go too far? And at what point are the fans, you know, right? And at what points are they just wrong? Like, and I guess it's not necessarily a right or wrong issue because you're free to get on your high horse and preach about whatever you want when it comes to a film. And, you know, I have my opinions. I don't think, you know, outside looking in, I'm not sure that they really needed to release the Snyder Cut. I don't know that that was a good move or a bad move. Well, I guess in hindsight... No, we'll see about that. So I guess but I think like, it's I'm sorry, you finish. Let me just let me put a button on this point and I'll toss it back to you. I think it sets a dangerous precedent because we're starting to see now that these, you know, rabid fan bases are going to Twitter and going to other social networks and they're posting about 
we want this and you know we live in such a media heavy world now in terms of everybody gets a platform at what point does having a platform become dangerous for studios in terms of you know a few hundred people or a few thousand people don't like your movie now you're forced to do pr and fix it so i think the snyder cut is a a very unique example uh, having not seen the snyder cut yet and i i know i'm way behind as a superhero fan but having seen the original justice league version and knowing story of post-production and production of the film itself mm. where Zack snyder left during post-production of the film and joss whedon who is famous for the avengers and buffy and all these all these movies and shows um comes in and you know completely overhauls the movie essentially not in the sense of reshooting scenes and restructuring the film but tonally changing stuff so Mm -hmm. i I guess in terms of what you can you can tell what's his and what's Zack snyder's in a sense because sure following up with man of steel and batman versus superman you get this dark gritty dc universe and with justice league you don't get that like not even one little bit Mm. you get a very avengers-esque style superhero film you know that lighthearted, that fun you know superhero flick and Mm. so if you're a a diehard fan of Zack snyder so you're looking for that gritty feel and you didn't get that with that Um, well every director every director is going to have his sort of vision for what a piece is and i'm of the belief that if you're going to work on something you should see it through and i understand he had family whatever going on and whatnot and that's totally fine but what the company should have done in the interest of saving face and avoid the whole conundrum to begin with is just delay the movie you know people are still going to come and see it regardless of when it comes out you know i know fans get disappointed and then they'll take to twitter and go well why is the movie getting delayed what's going on all that you know and that's a whole other pr pr shitstorm that starts effectively you know but if you just delayed the movie until he was able to come back and work on it because he was able to come back and work on it anyway because you know he right, they released the cut that he wanted anyway here we are you know four hour cut of the movie you know i i think in that sort of vein they should have just delayed the movie then if they knew that that was going to happen and maybe they didn't but i I think it's certainly interesting that fans knew what they wanted and they knew what they were going to get you know see i a lot of them go ahead you finish so you know if the fans sort of expected we want the justice league this way shame on the studio the studio should have come out and said we're going to delay this movie in the interest of this is what Zack Snyder has to do to be with his family and all that stuff. I think the fans would have understood that. Maybe some of them wouldn't, but I think an overwhelming majority probably would. Right. See, I, from my understanding, there is conflicting um, reasonings for why he stepped away. Obviously, the family stuff plays into that, and that's a, a mm-hmm. big part of you know why he left. There are also reports that he was forced out instead of... Mm-hmm the studio delaying the flick they wanted it done and i i guess in terms of like a money factor the studio made a call that at the time probably seemed like guaranteed money because you're bringing in a guy who did avengers one and two and made a combined three billion dollars between the two sure 
And so you bring him in and you try to get that name attached and get that recognition and show a mm-hmm. light product for an alternate universe. I right. I think the problem is is that the studio was never going to theatrically release the movie the way that it was just released on HBO Max. And I, I yeah, think well, who was gonna who was going to go see a four hour cut of right. a movie? It wasn't sustainable right, me, for but, them to do that. I know right. there are those rabid fans who will go see it, but nobody in their right mind is going to go sit in a movie theater for four hours. Right, the average viewer is not going to do that. So releasing it as a four hour cut, or I think at one point they were releasing it as four one hour episodes and as like a show, I like that makes more sense feasible for this kind of a product. I think when it comes to this movement and fans getting behind it, you're right when it is, when you said it's dangerous. Because there are so many people out there that want certain things from certain movies, and believe me, I'm one of those people that want certain things, but being in the industry and knowing how it works, you don't get that. So this is one of those rare opportunities. And, you know, I, I get that everything at the end of the day, especially in this industry, is bottom line. And whether or not he was forced out or he was willingly let go to go handle his family stuff, I think, you know, they had an obligation to the, the executive producers and the people that brought in the money to get the thing out there so that that way they could reap more money out of it. And, you know, I'm sure other projects they had banked on it doing good or bad, depending on how they sort of forecast right. they well they restructured the whole dc universe because of how bad the actual the original justice league movie did right and obviously because of the ill reception they had to throw things around and that that happens frequently it happens with you know marvel it's happened with star wars mm-hmm. it's happened to these big blockbuster franchises before where they've moved stuff around because they have to or there's scandal that they need to move stuff around so that's you know producers and stuff are good at solving those problems but i think when it comes to the money end of things okay that's definitely it sounds more feasible that that's sort of why they decide to you know force the project out maybe prematurely but i think just from a perspective of outside looking in as someone who doesn't care you know could they have could they really have afforded to just wait and buy their time and release they probably could have right right you're seeing studios wait now i mean we're in a a covid pandemic so we're we're in that era where movies were that were supposed to be out a year ago are coming out in Mm -hmm. half a year from now or a year and a half from now because they've been delayed so studios can obviously take that hit and I think DC and Warner Brothers should have done that, but I think I, it's again, also I think just, it was more of a let's just cash grab this. From a from a cash grab perspective, it was brilliant to release it on their streaming services. Though mm-hmm. I think that that is, you know, streaming services are the future, and I think it was a good sort of way to get people to buy into your streaming service because right. you know if you don't have good exclusive content, it's going to keep people there then right. what are you doing? Get out of the streaming game. And I think that has absolutely stuff to do with it is how can we get, you know, why should we, why should we throw the budget around on, and kick the tires on making new shows when we have four hours of content that we can go pacify people with while we, you know, figure out the rest of our slate for the next, you know, four to 10 years or however right. long they're and, planning in advance, especially in a pandemic, especially because, you know, nobody's doing anything right now. Things are, still shut down in a lot of places in the united states and other countries are going back into shutdown too so 
it makes sense to release that which you already have just in stockpile because now is the time for artists to just say, I have all this stuff, let me put it out there, mm -hmm. right? No time like the present. People are eager to just consume stuff because people who weren't sitting on their couch all day or you know, people who were on it or were employed and now aren't or people who were working from home and are doing much of like the same as the people who weren't working, you know, there, there's this whole other avenue that has opened up and made streaming relevant and I think brought it into more people's lives and absolutely if it made sense for a cash grab reason that way to release the Snyder Cut then the companies did exactly what they should have done right and in terms of that the... I think what HBO Max has been out for what a year a year and a half almost like and, it, and Snyder Cut was announced with the service mm -hmm. so with HBO Max the way it works. I mean, if you have HBO, you have access to HBO Max. If you have AT&T, right. you have access to HBO Max. So mm -hmm. announcing the Snyder Cut gets that 50-ish percent of people that don't have either of those coming mm -hmm. into the service. Right. So for sure. And it's that's the I, whole gambit is get people involved and get people on your platform and how do you do that? Right. And I, I wonder that's... I wonder how long HBO Max has been in the works for because what if this was no. like a plan sure, all along or like justice league got released got panned critically and financially and then they're like well we got the streaming service let's make the movie so yeah, i mean I, it was just as easy to they probably could have done it even and released it in theaters and people went mm -hmm. away would have went and saw it i think right but you know streaming service definitely was probably something that solidified the deal is like you said it's gonna draw people to your your service by having that sort of, you know, tent pole thing for people to come find. And you also have to look at what HBO is doing. There may have been people who were rabid Justice League fans that weren't about to go and watch HBO's content. Right. But, you know, they bought in to go and see it, and now they're there. So, of course, they're going to watch other stuff, at least some of them. I can't imagine a lot of people, maybe there are, who watched it, canceled, and that was it. You know, bought the month, whatever. But I'm sure a lot of people who even kept it for the month or whatever you know watched a couple more shows or movies or whatever else they have on their streaming platform so they got their money's worth out of it they feel and hbo won because they got an influx of you know people coming to their service so from a you know release standpoint and distribution standpoint it was genius to release the snyder cut but i think the inception of it is sort of where i have an issue is you know, you didn't like the movie, great. I've seen plenty of shitty movies that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I go to Letterboxd and I write ill of them because, like, that's <laughs> what I do as a, you know, self-professed filmmaker and critic, right? You know, anybody can be a film critic. And that's the dangerous mm -hmm. thing about social media is I see a lot of people who... And I'm one of them. I, I write on Letterboxd and I review garbage movies that I watch or good ones and tell you why I like them. Why is my opinion matter? I guess like why would a studio care about what I want is something that I always think about and you know we look at markets and stuff and you know appealing to an American or Western audience versus an Eastern audience you know we, we sort of have that there, there's always someone who wants to care about your opinion and your demographic there's always somebody it may not be the director but it's someone who looks at how to market the movie and from a marketing perspective releasing a Snyder Cut was genius I'm not going to knock them for that yeah. but the fact that they need to do it in the first place because 
it seemed like for at least a while that they were really just trying to undo their wrongdoing by releasing a half-assed movie. Right, and it's something that could have been avoided altogether if you know, you sure. just give him the cut in the first place. And mm-hmm. so I want to I want to come a little full circle where you said that you know, we talked a little bit about it being a dangerous precedent and I want to come back to that. Cuz speaking of DC with mm-hmm. The, with the Snyder Cut coming out, there are are now campaigns for them to restore the Snyder verse, which is a, you know do Justice League two and three and finish the story that he had started. And on top of that, there's also a campaign to release the Ayer Cut of Suicide Squad, which I guess is apparently like three or four hours long in itself. Who would want to see that? I don't know. That so sounds painful. It, the movie itself is dumb action flick, but just. Aren't they all? I don't want to see like, more of it. Yeah, but point, like Suicide right? Squad like... was like, ugh. Um, so we'll come back to where it's a dangerous precedent. Do you think because the Snyder Cut was released and that, you know, that campaign succeeded, do you think the other two have a chance? Do you think that's something, absolutely, whether it's streaming or not, if it a, works? Absolutely, but only if they can find a way to like you know, if there's enough public outcry for it, because, you know, this is the first I'm hearing about those things, but I'm not shocked. You know, I can't be shocked. You know, we live in a post-COVID society. Nothing shocks me anymore. Right. But I guess sort of in that vein, I don't see why they wouldn't want to release those things. Why not release, you know, we always release director's cuts of movies anyways, which are usually longer and full of scenes that got the ax because of runtime or whatever. Now we have just this wild west of content and there's infinite amounts of data out there that we can just store whatever. You want an eight hour cut of this movie? Sure, let's upload it to Disney Plus or Netflix or any of the streaming services. Some some asshole sitting on his couch who hated the original cut of it's going to go watch it. Yep. Right? Someone's going to, you know, get their curiosity peaked. Like, what is the difference between them releasing like the ridiculous like eight hour cut of the godfather and re-releasing these movies right i mean i think the chances are high question you know what i mean like that's a that's a legitimate sort of question i have and you know you don't have to have the answer for it but it's an answer i'd like to seek Mm -hmm. is what is the difference other than to make money right there isn't one it's just a sort of cash grab here we go we have this content. Why don't we cut it all together and you right? Know, it's here. Take these out. extra two or three scenes that mean nothing to the film, but give me your money. Yeah, film films get scenes cut out of them all the time. I've cut scenes out of films before myself, right. and it's painful as a creator and someone who has a vision. So obviously, directors are going to be married to the fact that they want to keep everything the way they envisioned it. But at the same time, like. I think we need to seriously as a society draw the line. Our attention spans shrinking as it is where we can right. barely consume like 10 minute YouTube videos or 10 second TikToks, right? Right. Why or who in their right mind is going to sit down and go, yeah, I think I would watch that four hour cut of this. Right. And that's not to diminish, you know, people who want to make four hour movies, right? That's, that's totally not what I'm getting at is if it can, if it's a story that can be told in, two hours and you get the point across do you really need like i think part of it too is like we're past the point of like bonus features bonus features are like a dead thing in the sense that like very few people other than you are buying media these days (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but like, you know, there are very few people I think who are buying media Mm -hmm. out of maybe they can't afford it or, but also just like, ah, well, I don't need to buy another device. I don't need to let these DVDs or Blu-rays or, you know, this stuff just takes up space that I don't have. right? Right. And I think that's why we're trying to get everything to become digital. Even video games are going that route as well, where it's everything download this or stream this. I think that's another, you know, that's a topic for another episode. But at the same time, I think it's poignant because as we move towards this sort of digital era, it makes it even easier to distribute content. And I think, you know, it opens the door for these creators to say, you know, oh, I had these extra scenes in my movie. Why don't I put them in there and release a cut of it? Because, like, nobody's going to go on Netflix and watch bonus features for a movie that's on there. I mean, like, Disney Plus is doing, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, and they're, I remember watching a behind-the-scenes of Dark Crystal when they made the new show mm-hmm. because that stuff sort of interests me as a filmmaker. Well, how did they do that? Whatever. But I don't think a lot of people are interested in that same regard of, like, watching cut scenes, right? Right. The average viewer doesn't care. They want what right. they have, and that's it. So you wasted the money to make those scenes for them to be cut anyway. Why don't you release an eight-hour cut of your movie to show those scenes to people, right? Right. And I think that's. I think that could be part of, at least in my mind, a rationale for getting behind making these long cuts is you paid the money. I've worked on plenty of shows where they cut stuff and you know realized money was running out, so what do you do with it? And I've watched mm-hmm. the final cuts of it, and it's like, where did this go? I remember shooting this, and it's gone, right? Like, so, you know, it, it totally validates the idea of, well, bonus features are dead, so why don't we reuse it? And at least that's how I think about it. Maybe that's not necessarily the Hollywood sort of executive's view of it, but that's my view of it. It's like, well, we spent all the money on everything down to, like, props and extras and feeding people and all that stuff. You know, it's all bottom line. It's like, why don't we just try and make some money off of it? Because at the end of the day, the business of making media is about the bottom line and if you're spending a crazy amount of money to release something you gotta at least break even or this isn't sustainable you have to almost you have to profit for it to continue to be sustainable but you're gonna take a loss eventually and with streaming you're never gonna take a loss right because you could just keep what's the difference between oh they didn't like that cut let's take it down and put something else back up in its place and say hey we fucked up sorry bad movie our bad right I think I think in the long run though, that scenario does take a toll because they have to they'd have to repay an editor or they'd have to do, you know, I guess some various post work, which costs a little bit of money. But I like you said with streaming services it doesn't you don't really lose money because people are subscribed mm-hmm. monthly. You're making your money. People are subscribing every day to see sure. something new, and mm-hmm. so I think you know, releasing it to streaming services, releasing, you know, director's cuts or extended cuts or Snyder cuts for that matter on a, on a service is beneficial to viewers and to studios because it, it right. kind of gives everyone what they want. And especially... Also, go ahead, finish your point. Especially looking at the Snyder cut where like, and I'm going off Rotten Tomatoes, so bear with me. The original <laughs> Justice League has like a 30% approval from critics and like a 50 from audiences. The Snyder Cut has a 75 from critics and a, like 90 from audiences. So Normally something I would went fact right check there. You, but you know, I'm not going to fact check you there. I'll take your word for it for the sake it's of argument. Close. But it's not accurate. From 
from a distribution standpoint, because this is another thing I just thought of too that's very much in that sort of vein. When you release something on a streaming service, you're saving so much more money because you own it and you don't have to negotiate. A lot of times you own it and I'll, you know, sometimes you may just have to negotiate a deal out for Netflix or whatever, but or with a streaming service like that where, you know, it's we're going to stream it here for X amount of time. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, you make so much more money doing that because at least you know people will have the opportunity to watch your content and you're not printing dvds and burning them to discs that are just going to sit in a target somewhere for 10 years or whatever and a lot of media they find or you know wind up in a dollar store dollar bin like you know something like that so at least you know that you know someone is going to be able to access that content should they want it and it doesn't deal with like there's no more material sort of investment which you know i think that's sort of where we're going because i know there's not a whole lot of people buying media anymore but to circle back to like the snyder cut i think in answer your initial question why don't they release those longer cuts of movies i bet you it's going to become more common than we think in due time i hope so they (laughs) that's an interesting take um i've i've always been a fan of extended cuts and stuff like that i'd rather see certain things like I, I think especially I in movies that are based off books because you, you miss so much stuff. For sure. So, I don't mind the fact that they're releasing these movies and doing this sort of stuff, you know, out of their own volition. Like, the director wants to make another cut of the movie with stuff back in. But when, to bring everything back to our original talking point, which is when the fans are the ones who are advocating for this change or the fans don't like it, and we're trying to appease them instead of doing it out of artistic sort of merit of, hey, I really like this scene. It sucked that we had to cut it, but that's the business. you know. And, oh, it, it, that's, that other scene might make more sense if you see this other one somewhere. So there's more buildup or something like that. If there's an artistic reason for why you're putting stuff back in and not a financial reason for why you're trying to pacify your audience to keep them coming back and so they don't cancel you in the process and say you made a bad movie etc you know, I think it's going to be more common and it's not going to just be a superhero um, superhero thing for sure right right. I think so. yeah sir, again circling back into you know our original talking I, I think mm-hmm. because the fandom you know got the movement going and got the movement to be successful I think you're right. We're going to see more of this. I don't think it's going to be because fandoms are getting involved. I think it's because studios are going to see, hey, this did well. And people are looking for, you know, these longer cuts and these other versions of these movies. So why don't we release them somewhere? Mm -hmm. For sure. Where I think that's not dangerous. Although it could be. I guess that's the way that I'm going to put that. Because there is a way that... It's financially dangerous. It's not going to be dangerous in the same way as, like, you know, getting swallowed by a black hole is dangerous, but it's going to be dangerous in the financial sense because if the fans are not happy and then you need to bring in another editor or you realize, okay, this doesn't make sense, we need to do reshoots. Oh, that person's on another project? Well, let's finagle the bagel and get them back on set with us or whatever. There, It, it creates logistic nightmares and stuff, too, that are, you know, I think at the end of the day is are studios going to want that sort of, you know, is that going to be the norm 
or do they want that to be the norm? And I get it, reshoots happen all the time and they get a finagle that bagel anyway. But if it's from if it's retroactive to a movie you've already released and it did poorly, do you really want to sink more money into it? Right. It's like buying a bad car, right? You buy a used car that has all these problems and you keep sinking money into it when, you know, in reality you could have just bought a new car and not had to deal with any of the headache. Mm-hmm. Right? And you know, with the money you wind up putting into it, it's barely going to break even for what you paid for it, if that makes sense. That's sort of my no, rationale for it is why keep, you know, why keep fixing the lemon when you could just say, well, that sucked. We took a loss. China loved it, but the American audience hated it. Whatever. We barely broke even. We made a little bit of profit. Let's, you know, fold it over into the next project. Right. You know what I mean? I, I That's think, sort of my rationale. Right. And I think going into the future, I think... You know, I think the Snyder Cut is going to be the only movie of its kind where it's been out for five years. They did reshoots five years later, mm-hmm. and then they released the film. I think that's going to be like a one and done for in general. Like, I, I don't think Hopefully. I don't think we're going to get reshoots for Harry Potter to get three more scenes. You know what I mean? Right. I think for movies going forward that are coming out, I think that's when they'll be like, okay, let's take these deleted scenes, all those things that we've shot, make these longer cuts, and you know, sure. put it out. And as someone who works in the film industry, I'm totally not opposed to reshoots. Reshoots, you know, hire people, get more, you know. Right. My mantra is, you know, if you're going to cut a check, of course there's going to be people who are going to come work for you, right? Mm-hmm. And it opens the door for maybe people who didn't work on the original one to get more jobs and open the industry up to more people, more diverse creators even. Right. But, you know, if, if five years have passed and you look at the film and go, wow, that's a lemon. We really screwed it up. Just let it be. Right. You can only go back and rip the Band-Aid off and try and keep fixing it for so long. Right. In, a, in a like, universe like this, it's at that point reboot because you're five years later. Yeah. Like Spider-Man's done it four times. Like Yeah, well, reboot. that's, yeah. Like there's no reason well, I, to revisit the film. Right. I think your fans who are disappointed, though, you know, it's that's the only thing that's dangerous is that if you empower the fans to keep saying well we didn't like it then you're just gonna keep pacifying them and you're never really gonna just you know take your medicine and just you know on the next one you didn't like it whatever there's gonna be another movie that you're gonna go shell out thirty dollars to go see in a theater anyway Mm -hmm. right if you don't like a movie, like, I don't think the director who already, you know, his checks have already cleared, he's already on the next one, is going to care that much. Right. Right. I think he'll be, you know, on to the next project, on to the next, you know, pitch, whatever he's going to do to, you know, on the next team, right. on to the next show. And that's how a lot of people, you know, in the film industry are very much like that, where, you know, a lot of people wonder, if, oh, hey, you know, what do they think after the fact? A lot of the people don't even care. They're on the next show. Right. So I think from an industry sort of perspective, it's interesting because it creates more work, sure. But like, you know, ooh, there's, there's a need for reshoots and they're, you know, they're, they're moving the production to LA because it's closer to whatever. And it's like, doesn't that cost jobs? Yeah, it does. But like, those people are already on the next one. So what does it matter? Right. Right. And that's a whole other, you know, sidebar can of worms. But, you know, that's like what thirty minutes of Snyder Cut talk, you know, and how that correlates yeah, to everything, for sure. I mean, like we could go on for days about that, but I, my sort of, you know, to put a bow on the Snyder Cut is the fact that the movie was released. You said like five years ago, the original one, 
and now they're just getting around to releasing the new cut. You should have just put the nail in the coffin, buried it, and went on to the next one. Right. Just, you know, the fans didn't like it. Welp. Maybe in two or three years or maybe five years, we make another Justice League movie that's based on another comic book. And we put right. our guy in there. If they had a problem with Zack Snyder, great, whatever. They could say, Zack, it's been nice to know you, but we're going a different direction. We got this other guy in mind. And then you hire, like, Lord Miller or someone who, right. you know, whoever your next guy is, because there's always going to be a next guy. Whoever, you know, J.J. Abrams or, you know, Ryan Johnson. There's always a next guy in line, right? Well, in that, in that case, there's a next guy in line that just gets thrown out but that's a different story sure we'll, sure, we'll get to like, that later yeah but there's always sort of that you know succession plan of all right that project flopped or that was great whatever on to the next one and i think that's a lot of how the industry needs to be forward thinking especially if they want to keep up with the demand of you know streaming services are growing movie industry is probably you know at least movie houses are dying mm-hmm. theaters are gonna go hostile a bye-bye i bet in the future um because streaming is gonna get so big Maybe once COVID is quote unquote over, people won't want to go to the movies again. But yeah, right. I don't know. All right, let's move on to our next topic. Where I guess uh, the fandom did something good. Not to say that the Snyder Cut isn't the fandom doing something right. good, but we have a lot the of things fandom to talk does about something where, positive. Yeah, where let's talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. Sure. I haven't seen the movie. I don't plan on seeing the movie. From the initial trailer, we got mm-hmm. an animated Sonic that looked like shit. Like, it was not no... reflective at all of the character that people right. grew up with. And... Right, it looked nothing like the 2D animated character. It looked nothing like the video games, like the plushies. Like mm-hmm. Nothing. It, it was not completely... Sonic. Right. It was like you have Sonic, and then you have its off-brand brother. And it, yeah. Uh, it doesn't work. Are... It's like the Dollar Tree version of Sonic. Sonic, yes. And so, there was backlash on Twitter and yeah. YouTube and you know any social media you could get on. There was backlash mm-hmm. for the design to be changed. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I think it was Universal that put Sonic out, but whatever studio put it out heard that and was like, okay, we need to step back, redesign. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I guess that's that's a positive. I mean, because now we have a Sonic that, you know, looks, looks like the, the character. It doesn't look yeah. like it's, you know, stupid cousin. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I guess the same, you know, we kind of talked about this earlier. We it could, The same could be said for animation in general. Mm-hmm. And look at Wreck-It Ralph. And there was backlash there with characters. Um specifically tiana and pocahontas i think and how you know skin color and and facial features didn't represent the character as they did in the previous movies like where those characters are from but in general the people that those characters represent Mm -hmm. um and again fandom backlash changes that sure Um, so i guess i'm gonna kind of clump those two together and we can talk sure yeah i think i think those two issues are different in the sense that um the sonic the hedgehog was just pure backlash and malice because ooh, that's not what we wanted that's not what we expected what are you guys doing and a lot of the outlet uh, uh the backlash that you know came from 
um, at least from what I remember in Wreck-It Ralph, was they released a trailer uh, that featured Princess Tiana, who is, I'm pretty sure she was the first African-American princess. Yes. So, um, you know, naturally, because of her descent, she was rather dark-skinned in color, right? Uh, In the 2D animated version. However, the backlash came because they lightened her skin tone in the 3D animation. And a lot of people said, hey, that's not true to the character. So I think, you know, you know, whether or not you want your opinion to, you know, venture down that way, it's definitely interesting to see how the fandom... I would say that's definitely a good change, right? Mm-hmm. That's... You know, and you can say what you want about political correctness and whatever and all that stuff because I know that was a lot of the backlash that has come out of you know most things in the last you know ten years or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a that's a decent change. I I don't think the design they originally put out was true to the character when the rest of them seemed to you know be you know dressed as princesses and she looked like she right. was just in pajamas or whatever. And I think that's that's those are totally valid changes because mm-hmm. you know in the the new one the new model they created was way better I think in representing what that character meant in terms of like significance to right. you know being true to the cultural sort of genesis right. I as someone who's a fan or thoroughly enjoyed the princess and the frog more than I thought I ever would. Mhm. I, and I haven't seen the Wreck-It Ralph with the princesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen the pictures, I've seen the trailers, all that's for the sake of discussion. I, they really did a disservice to the character because sure. the more that I looked into it, the more that I saw, you know, you know, she's more light-skinned, she's got European mm-hmm. features in, in her face, and, and it yeah. doesn't really speak to the character. Right. And... So, from what I've read, is that not only fandom, but the voice actor also, you know, pretty much marched up to Disney and was like, you fucking changed that. Mm-hmm. And and they did. And I I think that's, I think that's a, a change for the positive. Right. I think, I think that's, I think that, you know, that's a change absolutely. that you should do. I think sort of in this category, we have something that was a change for good because it represented something that a lot of people were, you know, disappointed that they chose not to include. Or they've made artistic choices in 3D animation that, you know, were not reflective of the original IP and, you know, African-American princess, darker skin, which absolutely that change was warranted. On the flip side, we're going to talk about a hedgehog because I don't think those two things necessarily represent the same thing. They Um, don't. I think the racial one, you know was absolutely justified i think that backlash was good that's fans taking a stand against something that they view as wrong right whereas on the other end of things you have fans who were just i don't like this style it is not good or a lot of the feedback was you know pejorative it looks nothing like sonic it's whatever there's a difference between you know making critiques about something that i would I'll lump in under verisimilitude. Like, she's an African-American princess, and she's a princess. Why is her character modeled this way? Whereas Sonic is, okay, it's a video game character that's modeled like shit, right? 
And, right, and you know, my I wasn't trying to clump them together because they're like no, I get that. It's more think, so like I think it's a good sort know, of animation. I think I think t- together it's kind of a good sort of reflection as to how dangerous it can be as a fandom, because you have these changes that need to happen for good when people are taking a stand about hey, you guys are what you're doing here is I don't want to say insensitive because I don't think that was their intention, um, but. That people were taken aback and justfully in that regard but on the other end of things people were just pissed off because the design was just poor and I don't think you know I think because of the nature of Sonic being you know a beloved cartoon like you know cartoon video game character people were super taken aback by it and I don't think they really deserve to be you know you're lucky you got a Sonic movie at all I remember right. when video game movies were considered garbage and they were all made in Germany because it was easier in terms of tax credit. And, you know, I remember that there was a period of time where that was happening. And, you know, mm-hmm. you can, there's countless videos on the web about that if you're not familiar with it. But the, it's like there were notoriously bad Mario movies. And I don't know, I don't know why. I think that sort of issue with Sonic really comes down to, you know, looking at who's at the top and going, okay, so why didn't you just do what you were gonna do in the re thing, the remake anyway, or like the re edit of it anyway? But I think the fans should have just, you know, you know, shut up and took it and just said, you know, you, you downvote the thing to hell or you bad review it to death on Letterboxd and go, it looks nothing like Sonic, right? I think that sort of parallel is it shows the good and the bad of fans. Like the fans can do good things for sure by advocating for, you know, misrepresented or not enough or people of color, especially because they don't have enough representation in media. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think on the flip side, it's like, okay, you're really losing your mind over an animated hedgehog. There are larger things to care about. Like, you know, the, the the media industry has so many other problems that I think losing your mind over a freaking hedgehog is insane to me. And that's why, you know, I thought the design was bad when I first saw it. And I'm not going to discredit that, but I didn't take the Twitter being like, you need to remake the movie because it's bad. And you need to reanimate your whole movie because I don't like this. Right. Right. And maybe, maybe that's something to do that we weren't, you know, necessarily Sonic people growing up. Maybe. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the backlash is those 30 plus year olds that sit in their mom's basement, but well, people I, who grew up with it in the '80s and whatnot, I definitely, I definitely think that was there, absolutely. But right. you know, I think that polarization is interesting to note because largely, I think that fandoms are bad. But when they're doing good things and advocating for people who don't get the same representation as other groups of people, I think that's where fans can absolutely do good, and they should continue to do good. They should advocate for more, you know diverse people to be displayed in media for sure and i think we're starting to come around to that but there definitely can be more work especially from fans and you know organizations that make award decisions and whatnot and even people who hire for jobs can do better because you could always continue to do better but a freaking hedgehog if you're freaking out about a freaking hedgehog that's where i draw the line because there are bigger fish to fry. 
And if you right. didn't like the movie, don't go see it. If you didn't want to support them, don't go, don't go watch Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I feel like their backlash was justified. Sure, they could take to Twitter. They have the platform to do that. But what's really dangerous is that when it came out and then the studio said, you know what, we're going to make this right. We're going to sink all this money into it and reanimate the entire model of Sonic for the entire duration of the movie that has to be at least like an hour and a half, two hours. That's going to cost one money and, you know, VFX and animation and like, you know, people who do that sort of computer graphic stuff usually operate under a crunch anyway. Like Mm -hmm. constant, just constant grinding and constant work. So I can't imagine the stress that that caused, you know, for whoever was working on that project to now have to grind out more time and invest more time to reanimate the hedgehog because people didn't like it. Right. And I think that that they shouldn't have. They should have stood their ground and said, you know, if you don't like it, and obviously they weren't going to do that because, you know, the movie was probably going to bomb if they did. Mm-hmm. But you know they should have stood their ground, and especially in the design phase, and kind of said we got to make this as true to life as we can. And it showed they were capable with the movie they put out. So why didn't they do that from the beginning? I don't understand. I wonder if you know PR absolutely had everything to do with the decision. I'm not going to say that it didn't because it absolutely did. Right. But. It's interesting to note that that change was made only because people were pissed off about it. The movie would have bombed if they didn't. I don't know how well it did, but... I'd no, like it to did believe... well enough that they're making a sequel. I, I like to believe that people would have went and saw it on the premise that it was bad. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, I mean, we certainly know people that would, and clearly there's other people in the world that would do that. Sure. I think. And... I mean, I, th- I think a kid, which your main audience for a Sonic the Hedgehog movie is going to be kids. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think kids, parents were going to take their kids to go see it, but you're not, if you didn't redesign it, you don't get those people that grew up on Sonic because they're like, no, right. that's not my character. Sure. So but maybe it was a decision your audiences for are good. Kids. It was a good money decision, but did they really have to pacify fans? And no. I think that's sort of the, I think there really needs to be a line drawn between what executives decide is worth their time because you know, changing one character model that appears in, I'm assuming I haven't seen the movie, but in a small portion of the movie for the sake of nostalgia and the sake of, hey, look, all the Disney princesses are in one room. This has never happened before. Versus let's reanimate an entire movie. Right. I think, like, those two things are apples and oranges. I think we should be more concerned with the first bit, you know, let's you know let's make sure that these people receive the proper um people these people receive the proper and acceptable in their eyes inclusion in this media like there shouldn't be you know there should not be backlash in the first place because you chose to make a decision that you know and granted everyone's going to be up in arms but you should at least be sort of sympathetic to okay let's really make sure we nail this so that that way there is no backlash and granted i don't think right. they did it with malice i think we've said that but I no think... i think i think you know you're translating a character from 2d to 3d and you did something that you thought was going to work and it just didn't for sure and you know those things happen and it's good that the fans stood their ground and said hey you should really do this because what you're doing is you know misrepresent misrepresentative mm-hmm. 
and it, the hedgehog thing pisses me off comparatively because, you know, and maybe I'm not being fair to Sonic because we're comparing it to something else, but I think, I think the nature of the fans just being like, ew, that is bad. It's just not. It's not a sustainable thing that we can expect to keep happening, right? Because every movie is going to, you know, release a trailer and then get Twitter backlash, and then change. You know, maybe tweet volume has something to do with it in terms of bad PR, where they flip that switch. I'm sure case mm-hmm. studies could be done in that regard. Of at what point does a controversy become blown up to the point that we need to do something about it? At what point do we reach that level of DEFCON that we need to, you know, start, you know, dispatching our PR people to fix things and release statements to fix things? And there absolutely is a threshold for that in most places. But I think, like, our our morals are so whacked that, like, you know, we're able to reanimate an entire hedgehog and throw money at it and, like, probably double the budget on just, hey, keep fixing it, throw money at it right. until it's fixed where we can't even get representation right of people that's where i draw the line because it's it's ludicrous to me that you know both those things had to happen in the first place because i think sonic fans should have just put up or shut up but on the flip side the people who are dealing with you know making sure people are represented properly those people need to keep those people that are bitching about the hedgehog or giving those people a bad name because it's like ooh the fans are the fans are toxic right. or that fandom is toxic because you know fandoms in general I tend to believe are toxic until they start doing something that's good right and I think I think in the case of you know Tiana that's that's a fandom doing good I think exactly. that's a, a group of people doing good to get something right mm-hmm. I I'm totally I'm totally okay with artists going back and of their volition saying, Hey, maybe we should fix this. But I Mm -hmm. cease to believe that those artists and those VFX people that worked on the Sonic movie went back in because they wanted to make it right. Right. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. But no, they probably, they went in, they were like, okay, the the people hated what we did. Can you like, can you imagine being the guy that designed that first Sonic and being like, wow, everyone hated this. And now I have to change this. Yeah. That would be terrible. Like that. Right. You know, that's sort of you bury who designed that and never let it come to light so that that guy can keep working, right? Like, that's... Right. That's something that, you know... Right, that that kind of backlash, you know, makes someone not have a job in the future, potentially. Exactly. You screwed up and you're done. Like, that... You created a PR shitstorm that we needed to solve and, you know, Mm -hmm. there's obviously bigger fish to fry but now we have to throw money and assets at the pr people to fix this crap that you've started all because your eyes weren't big enough on your sonic model right basically what it came down to other than Mm -hmm. that it was fine so maybe it was an easy fix like go into like after effects and just increase the size of the eyes or whatever but yeah right obviously i'm being coy about that you know what i mean like crazy to me that we lose our mind over stuff like that when we can't even get representation right and you know we worry about stuff like that just fully but here we are we have fandoms going nuts over hedgehog eyes stuff right. like that right and I, I like like we said just to you know put a bow on it and come full circle it's mm-hmm. two different fandoms and it's they're for 
different reasons, essentially. Sure. I, mean, I think one of know, them Sonic... one of them had valid sort of arguments in terms of representation mm-hmm. because that was good. Right. Sonic was just irrational hatred of ew, that's different. We don't like that. It's not true to the IP, but like there is a difference in the significance of fixing Sonic and fixing Tiana for sure. Right. And I, I think that's you know, that's the main point. It's like you fix your hedgehog, I guess, but you don't should that shouldn't be the focus for most people. Like that shouldn't have been a thought, whereas Tiana, you know, you need to culturally change this to be appropriate. And what's an, another sort of, as we put a bow on this, that's interesting is we heard a lot more about the Sonic backlash than the Tiana one. And I, I wonder how right. many other instances of that sort of thing have come to light and been remedied by companies, but because of the nature of the thing and avoiding controversy or avoiding, you know, looking like they, you know, screwed up intentionally or whatever. Right. I wonder how many instances of that have not come to light that were, you I'm, know, Twitter backlash. Could be something to look into. I'm sure. I Like, honestly, I'm sure it happens more than we thought. Like, when we were talking about doing this, I like, mm-hmm. uh, Sonic, I had heard about. Yeah. I had been one of the people that just bitched him out. Not on Twitter, but I bitched with you guys because mm-hmm. that's what I do. Right. I, I had, we, you brought up Wreck-It Ralph. I had never heard of the problem with it. Like, mm-hmm. I never, I never heard that there was a problem with Tiana or there was anything like this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that some situations like that are happening more often than we think, but we're just not hearing about them. I think as our culture changes and our culture becomes more accepting of diversity and more accepting of making sure people receive the proper representation in society and in media, especially as a reflection Mm -hmm. of society, I think we'll start to see more instances of that. But I don't remember specifically when that movie came out, but it, definitely strikes me as something that you know if that happened recently we would have heard a lot more about it um right you know within the last like couple of months or a couple of years we definitely would have right like heard about within it, but... months of a trailer exactly and i don't i wonder if there are other instances of things that you know are in that similar vein where smaller groups of people freaked out about it but it wasn't as widespread where every major outlet was running sonic looks like shit you know what right. i mean <laughs> Right. right, and I'm so. sure there was at some point that was, mm-hmm. you know, something to talk about. And I think mm-hmm. as we go further, anything that's similar to the Tiana situation that's about, you know, making things appropriate for the mm-hmm. character, I think we'll see more of that and hear more about that mm-hmm. as opposed sure. to it being swept under the rug. I think in the culture that we live in and, you know, the mm-hmm. way the world is working now, it's going to be something more common. Exactly. For sure. At least we can hope. Um, right, yeah, at least we can hope. <laughs> so the next topic I want to talk about, I want to talk about the female Ghostbusters. Sure. May, one, mainly because the next topic we wanted to talk about is going to take us probably two hours to talk about to begin with. Um, but I think on the topic of making things culturally appropriate, I think the Ghostbusters film kind of falls semi-near that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so the main fandom issues that I remember from when this movie came out was that it was a female cast and people were mm-hmm. saying it ruined the legacy of the original Ghostbusters. I have never seen the original Ghostbusters. 
Really? I have seen the female version. And as someone who had no love, no knowledge of the originals, I enjoyed it. So I don't get the backlash. It's literally just, I think, misogyny. Just like, ooh, wow, how dare you take this thing that was all basically white dudes and, like, I think there may have been... Jog my memory. Was there even I think there a minority in the cast? I don't remember. It's been a hot minute since I've watched the Ghostbusters I'm, movies. There but, was, I'm pretty sure there was one. But even just, like, one. Like, that's... You know, for a movie made back then, that's like, okay, that was progressive for them to do that, right? Mm-hmm. And, like... That was just, yeah, that was probably a studio saying, maybe we should do this in the interest of, you know, some fogey who, like, thought that was a good idea in terms of, like, just keeping up the guise of, you know, looking progressive or whatever. Right. Um, you know, even still, the idea that, you know, why should we make all female versions of movies that, or IP that basically already exist? Mm-hmm. I, I think, like, the, the, the the hatred for it is just out of sheer ignorance because like what difference does it make who is in the movie it's like they made they made another oceans movie that was all women and it received much of the same backlash right like from what i remember for the record people... i enjoyed that one right and i and i i love the oceans movies and i think that's sort of you know you know as a white guy i feel like you know who's reasonably progressive I feel like, you know, why are we getting wrapped up in freaking out over, like, who's cast in movies and why we have all... Like, right. I get the idea of, like, we, you know, if you know, people view them making all female movies as an attempt to be progressive, but why, why don't they make more all-female movies? And I guess... You know, everything boils down to, like, is it going to pass a Bechdel test? And are two women going to talk about something that's not just a dude? And if your movie passes that grade, if not, you suck at making movies or you're a misogynist, right? And, you know, I think at the end of the day, everything boils down to, I remember that coming to mind. But why, why, what's the issue with all-female casts? You know, like, I guess it's sort of the... You know, we're we like this IP. It was originally done by all guys, and that's sort of where the nostalgia of like, ooh, it was this was all guys in a cast, right? And you know, I think a lot of it is well, we don't have any more original ideas, so why don't we do this? Mm-hmm. But with women, there's a lot of is how a lot of people view stuff like that, and it's like, well, right. again, there's other issues to be concerned about, whether or not you know, ooh, you're your Ghostbusters memories are going to be tarnished because they made a movie that has all women and happens to be, you know, a similar plot to the original. Right, right. and I think IP. I think that's where the fandom is wrong. Yeah, I think, like... I, like, if you get worked I think I think that's where we fail as a society and, and like, a, a sure. bigger picture is that where trains think that men are leading... Like, leading men are what's going to make you box office bucks. And... That's, that's, they, what that's how it worked for a long time. Right. That's how it worked for a long time. And whether or not that was right or not, you know, that's just the way it was. And, right. you know, I think, I think a lot of people are afraid to let women step into those leading sort of, you know, 
let's pu- let's put a movie out there that's all women and let's you know I, I think Hollywood is still a little bit back asswards in the way they view that in terms of like is that mm-hmm. really gonna sell? And I think that's just because there's still a lot of old fogies in Hollywood, and I think we're eventually gonna get to a point where, you know, we get past that. At least I hope. But yeah. you know, I think we look at these movies that have already come out and there's already existing IP and because it's different people just don't want to like it they don't want to like it because there are women in it and they're basically telling a similar story it doesn't have to be the same story but at least a similar one and people go yeah I don't like that it's for the same reason we hate sequels because they never live up to the original I guarantee you that like you know there are definitely movies that could be made or hypothetical movies that you know, if a if it was an original IP and the cast was all women, and then they remade it with men, maybe we get a little bit more of that same backlash. I don't know. I I think that it's a touchy sort of you know conundrum that we see, and I think it's easy to point to it just being where we're still a misogynist culture, unfortunately, in terms right. of our media, and oh. We just don't like the idea of remaking something and gender bending it is what, you know, we used to call it. And that's still even a term that's probably wrong nowadays. But, right. you know, what what difference does it make whether or not you have a cast that is all women, all men, completely mixed with a you know diverse group of people? And honestly, I see no problem with it. And I, I think a lot of people do because popular ip already done with men now it's inferior because now we're just doing the same thing but we're casting women and a lot of people just go look at you trying to be inclusive and you're trying to you know appeal to you know female viewers and stuff and they just you know every time i see you know people try to def or try to you know defend their hatred for it it's usually just the same misogynist rhetoric over and over again where it's right. like they're basically trying to paint a picture that they don't like it because it's all women and they point to things like, well, it's the same story as before. Well, I, buddy, I don't know how to tell you. There's only really four to five different plots for stories anyway. Everything's right. are already a rehash of these four or five other types of stories that have already been told. Mm-hmm. You know, when it boils down to it, it doesn't matter who the vessel of telling the story is, whether actor, actress... I don't know of a non-binary word for actor, actress. I don't know. It's definitely a personal preference for some people. But either way, right, it doesn't matter who is sitting in that seat or on the screen or standing, whatever, whatever. Um, it doesn't matter. Why does that shit matter? Like, and I, you know, we absolutely need to push for more inclusiveness in our stories. And we absolutely need to open those doors for you know, women filmmakers and, you know, stories that follow women and aren't, aren't completely just pejorative. Don't pass the Bechdel test. You know, there need to be more films like that. And, you know, maybe we do remake stuff because, you know, familiarity is what's going to sell. That's why we keep making James Bond movies. We keep making Marvel movies. We keep making Star Wars movies. But there was even backlash at the idea of having a female Bond, too. It's like... Are you really that strung up on the fact that this thing that has been around for years can't change? Are we really stuck in the same status quo? Right. I, like, I think people are more 
more so like in the case of James Bond, it's like it's been around for you know half a century or whatever. It's people that don't want to see that change, and I think that goes to the same with Ghostbusters. Is you go, you had four guys in the original films, and you go to four girls, and you make these changes, mm-hmm. and it's like don't don't. I, I guess the argument is don't fuck with my childhood, because that's what it is. It's like I grew up with these. I don't want this to change. Um, and I, I think that's what, the problem with most people. What drives me insane about stuff like that is those movies are still there. You can still cling to your nostalgia. Mm-hmm. You don't need to recognize this other movie. Like, not to separate, you know, the discussion on discourse about you know the gender politics of it and that sort of angle. But, you know, there are people who are purists when it comes to things like Star Wars, where they say, oh, I don't like the prequels or I don't like the sequels. And it's like, well, don't watch them then. You have the stuff you like, so stick with it, right? Like Ghostbusters. Like, you don't have to watch the new movie that came out. You don't. Nobody's holding a gun to your head saying, you you gotta go watch it. It's canon. Like, nobody's holding a gun to your head saying that. Right. Right, so just cling to your nostalgia and you cling to your whatever. Don't watch the new stuff. Right, sit sit to what you know and be done with it. Exactly. If 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 you know if progressive cinema to that extent is going to scare you and rub you the wrong way, just cling to your old world values and just l- right. let the rest of us move forward. Right. Like I I think that I think that's the problem with with situations like that. I think fandoms are become insanely toxic because people who aren't necessarily actively talking about it hear about it from their buddy Mm -hmm. and then it becomes this topic of conversation between them and then with more people and more people and you're just spreading toxicity Mm -hmm. you're not spreading anything good you're not talking anything good i mean that's what the one that's what ruins a movie's box office numbers but in the end of the day you're you're just bitching and moaning and no one cares and exactly. I think and you just you're just putting negativity out into the world, and uh, for what? I got news for you. That's what social media is good at. It's just putting no, negativity no. out there, and just you know, that's that's why I detest most of it. Is because you know everybody gets a platform, and everybody, including the assholes who say like, "Oh, I'm not gonna I'm boycott this movie, boycott this movie," because it's mm-hmm. and you know I think good or bad, like you know everybody's platform is really bad for not just like granted it does do good granted it does do bad having those sort of influx of negative opinions and just having that platform you know definitely goes to your head and messes with your mental health for sure because you know you could just keep talking to the freaking wall about you know oh here's my opinion Uh, you know let me put myself on my high horse that's why i always say like who cares about my opinion right Oh, obviously someone does because someone's going to see, you know, oh, they're talking about these things. I want to learn about this or, oh, I know those two people. I want to listen to what they have to say, right? So to the people who are going to laugh at me, you know, suggesting that, you know, my opinion doesn't matter while they're listening to me talk about this right now, right? I think largely everybody having a platform is bad because of the self, like, self-contained problems that that causes for you and that's Mm -hmm. absolutely absolved from movies and stuff you know everybody getting a platform to bitch and complain is just terrible for you know society as a whole and granted you know in media because we put the media in social media and a lot of times we talk about movies and stuff on there 
we absolutely have run into the similar problems where you know we start looking deeper and hyper fixating on and people latch on to threads and you find people you disagree with who loved the female ghostbusters and now you're fighting with person you've never met on the internet over a movie that you know chances are both of you haven't seen yet because you're talking about the concept of a movie that hasn't been released yet right right so that's a whole other discourse and i know i touch upon things and point to that as a means of deflecting from that subject but (laughs) at what point do we you know look at fandoms as you know bigger picture the idea of fandoms and having to defend your shitty idea on your twitter as something that's just bad for not even just the film industry but just in general like you know granted they're able to do a lot of good for sure but i think largely if we're standing up for the good and we're also standing up for the bad we hear a lot more about standing up for the bad right and you know i i think we we just we love controversy and social media just breeds controversy, especially when it comes to our movies and especially when it comes to, you know, gaps of generational gaps, I guess, is the best way to put it, where people still have this old way of thinking and are refused to think more progressively about how do we view, you know, is that something that we should consider rehashing old IP and putting women and, you know, what was a man's role before in a movie or reboot of a movie or, you know, remake of similar IP. And we absolutely should like what, if you're hung up on that dude, get a hobby. Like that's not watching movies, obviously. Right. Right. Like if you, if you can't let go, just, you know, you're insane. Like stop hyper fixating on, you know, pushing your agenda through, you know, or your negative agenda anyway. Like, I guess that's sort of subjective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how dare I call out those people in particular. But, you know, the industry itself is rather progressive in terms of what they think is okay. They wouldn't be making these movies if they didn't think that was okay. Or that, you know, maybe we're not ready for... A lot of people aren't ready for those sort of conversations about, you know, how do we make, you know film and movies and stuff more diverse and you know i don't think a lot of people are ready to have those conversations and i don't think a lot of people are mature enough to have those conversations especially when they're hiding behind a keyboard no i think i think they're all stuck in their ways and they don't want to see anything progress and they don't want to see you know their stories change to fit the modern day i think Mm -hmm. that's the overall idea there is that they're stuck in their ways and they don't want you know they don't want change and right. i i, I, I those are the people that change. i pity change is scary you know whether you're moving to a new place or starting a new job or you know going somewhere for the first time or meeting people for the first time or whatever i get it change is scary but if you can't accept change in your movies in your television what like we deal with change so frequently in our lives that like how are we at a point where we still think like that and we still think right like oh, that shouldn't that's... be a problem right and, and it is unfortunately and i think that there's, there's a whole other host of 
other issues and semantics and you know issues with our society that largely contribute to that but right. i'm here to talk about movies and not fixing the world i got on my social media sidebar <laughs> about that because i think they're correlated i definitely think that you know well they definitely are 100 percent. i I, and I, I think people who go on reddit and twitter twitter and you know just keyboard Reddit's warrior like, their way into some current topic like like a like a movie situation like this is just it's kind of sad that you're just out there to you know bash on something that you don't agree with or you know don't feel is right i guess is the yeah best way reddit's to put the that. reddit reddit is the worst i think of all of them because it's usually just like dudes whose opinions are back asswards like literal you know just like white dudes who have never you know experienced diversity in their life just going mm -hmm. like diversity what do i need diversity for and it's like dude come on now that's why I, like right. for a while it's, i swore it's off the... reddit i was like yeah. i can't i can't be around this negativity right it's it's all those people that are like it's my life that matters not yours fuck you kind of thing you know right for sure and that's that's and, the sad part and especially when it paints you know fandoms in a negative light i think is when we hear about it more because like we pointed out earlier i think a lot of the instances of fandoms doing good and getting behind good causes often is not as publicized or doesn't go as viral as you know, the hatred and the malice towards each other and towards people who view things one way or the other and maybe maybe there are progressive people who take it too far maybe there are people mm -hmm. who don't want their movies to be as progressive who take it too far and i don't think either side is right in terms of i'm sure you could go find stuff retroactively uh where even like you know, just people on both ends are going at each other's throats about stuff that it's like it's movies at the end of the day right yeah i i think since we're on the topic of people not necessarily wanting to change mm -hmm. i think it's a good time we bring up star wars sure because star wars is the one of one the of most the most divisive series i think i've ever heard of it is it's one of the as someone who consumes a lot of star wars media and has been a rabid star wars fan for the better part of i want to say like i don't know 10 15 20 years dare i say like right. you know i think we're at a sort of crossroads now that disney owns it and you know, for a while there were six movies we got to talk about and mm -hmm. a couple of bad holiday specials and tv cartoons and stuff you know what i mean yep. like so for a while there was a finite amount of media and there were plenty of books but like a lot of us not me but a lot of people didn't read the books right and right? now we have so 11 movies holiday specials multiple tv, TV shows, shows yeah cartoons everything video mm -hmm. games the whole nine yards right star wars for reasons i can't explain is one of the most cutthroat sort of fandoms there is and yep. as someone who you know engages in you know consumption of that content for sure i look at what some of the people are suggesting and especially like what the hype of the back end of the three movies that came out it was like everybody had a theory about everything right a lot of my sort of gripe with the star wars fandom as someone who you know was underwhelmed i'll say by the sequels like i liked mm -hmm. them because i'm a homer for star wars and i regardless of whether right. i thought they were good or bad i was gonna go watch them right right yeah you know, i'll consume whatever filoni puts out and you know 
if they gave Kathleen Kennedy a show that she spearheaded, I'd probably watch it too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter who's at the helm. I'm going to watch it if it's Star Wars content, probably. Books, right. I don't really have time for books anymore. Whatever. Um, <laughs> movies, like there's so much lore that got dumped in books, and it's like there's more pages of books than I have years left in my life. Like Right, and now most, most of the books whatever. aren't canon anymore. Yeah, and it's hard like, to start I with think the, the only thing that's canon is the High Republic series that they're putting out it's, now. Yeah. And like some of the aftermath but like it's hard yeah. to it's hard to get into the books because like there's so much that's old out, old stuff that's out there, new stuff that's out there that's hard to So we're going to talk about movies because at the end of the day your show's about movies. Um <laughs> right. and not to get hung up on, you know, books and stuff, but the fandom is so divisive because there's so much media out there. And everybody has an opinion about and beyond just what's your favorite color lightsaber and who's your favorite jedi and all that stuff and right. you know there was definitely a lot of negative sort of je ne sais quoi when it came to the pre or the sequels um because you know i remember there being backlash about the prequels and like for years in between after the disney you know lucasfilm merger um or acquisition rather there was a lot of talk about, well, the prequels were bad. It can't get any worse. And then people were like, you know, I really kind of like the prequels in hindsight because it was George's <laughs> vision and stuff. Uh, you know, whether you're on the prequel or sequel side of the fence or you're a purist who likes, you know, whose favorite movie is Empire. Like, okay, you know, you. <laughs> either way. Empire is the best one out of the nine. Either way. There was a lot, a lot of fandom cancer that came out of, right. you know, just the years leading up to force awakens and then you know we had some tv shows release i believe in that sort of era as well but movies specifically everybody had a theory about who snoke was everybody anybody who was anybody on youtube would release videos about how snoke was mace windu or snoke was jar jar banks or whatever right right not but not only snoke they like whose daughter is ray exactly which leads me to my next sort of thing the the fandom got really like pissed off about the fact that Ray is what's called a Mary Sue, which effectively is a character that just kind of exists right. and doesn't need to have any sort of rhyme or reason. And again, like that was what Star Wars was. It was like anything, any original concept is technically, you know, they didn't explain it, whatever, right? It was supposed to be explained, but lack of continuity allowed that to not get explained. And... Yeah, the Star Wars fandom got really like once Last Jedi came out. I think that's really when, and maybe you agree or disagree. I think that's really when the tip of the iceberg was for the fandom to get worse, because right, everybody I, got cutthroat. Right, I'm I'm in the minority with the Last Jedi, and mm-hmm. I and it's because I like it. Right, and I think I agree with you that that's where things really you know got to that tipping point because everyone looked at the Last Jedi and was like. Coming off The Force Awakens, which was basically a remake of A New Hope, everyone was like, oh, this is going to be this is gonna be the Empire of the sequels. This is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. the best thing that we'll see in a while. Like, it's going to be the best of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, yes. In everyone else's opinion, no. Right. Uh, most, most people hated the movie because of what they did to Luke Skywalker. Luke's not this, you know, we can change the world guy that he was in the original mm-hmm. movies he's right. you know an old haggard man who yeah, you know a, hates life a and in, right he 
he's seen some shit, and it, it yeah. affected him. Right, and, for sure. And no one liked that. No one liked that Luke was a potential killer, or he was, mm-hmm. you know, this down-on-his-luck guy. Everyone wanted the Luke that we left in Episode Six, where, you know, he just saved the galaxy, and, he, right. you know, he's going to be the greatest person alive. Mm-hmm. The problem with the fandom, the Star Wars fandom in particular, they are so toxic. And they hate every little change that you could possibly make. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Disney was smart when they made Force Awakens because they're like, okay, let's just take episode four and reskin it and this is what we'll do. It's the same movie. And then it's like, okay, J.J. Abrams got to make his Star Wars movie. Let's make... someone else who has you know a different vision for star wars express their opinion and that's how we ended up with last jedi don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. the last jedi is not a perfect film it's 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 not there's certain things you can get rid of there's certain and i agree with most of it but it's the only one that makes all of the characters feel like humans and feel Mm -hmm. real at least in my opinion don't get me wrong i understand you movies are in a way of escapism and you used it to escape your real life problems. Yeah, but even George Lucas said that like it was Star Wars in his mind was a commentary on things that actually happened in our world. You know right. what I mean? So it we we seek to escape by just reskinning our problems as something else. Right. For sure. I I I think The Last Jedi what it's good for is that it humanizes a lot of things that weren't necessarily that way before and people didn't like it because their characters weren't their characters mm-hmm. and how dare you do something different exactly. and the reason i say that like because that can be with any movie that's not that toxic the reason i say that because of that movie the star wars fandom is toxic look what happened with episode nine after that like mm-hmm. they made episode eight it released it made a billion dollars and everyone hated it except me and Disney was like, okay, hold on. We're not going to bring Trevorrow in to make Duel of Fates. We're going to bring J.J. Abrams back to make Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you have, but I've read the script for Duel of Fates. I think I, I would have preferred that movie any day of the week from the right. uh, Rise of Skywalker. And don't get me wrong, again, I'm like you. I'm a Star Wars homer. I'll go see whatever you want to see. But Duel of Fates would have been the ultimate end. I really think so. I think sort and of like, I, I think there were, because of all the variables and stuff that was, and just, I think Star Wars fans as a whole were underwhelmed by the sequels. And I know a lot of people were pissed off about Last Jedi. I'll keep my opinions of it a mystery. <laughs> Because I have my opinions about it. I have my opinions about every Star Wars movie, good and bad. But my opinion of Last Jedi was that it was the turning point and it was the catalyst to really like get the fandom going and work work them up and light a fire under their ass right. about you know just getting super toxic about it. Because everybody pointed to Kathleen Kennedy as the you know head honcho over at you know Lucasfilm saying, "What the f are you doing?" Right. Why would why would you let Ryan Johnson come in and just muck everything up, and totally, you know, come up with a story that was like nobody expected Snoke to die in Last Jedi. Everybody had this right. theory and this grandiose sort of 
plan, especially in the fandom, for who Snoke was. And when their Snoke theory was wrong and Snoke was just a guy who wound up being a clone of Palpatine in the end, I, I think a lot of people weren't happy with that. And a lot of people were also happy or not happy with the idea that Rey was literally a nobody. Mm-hmm. And then she became a somebody. Right. And, so that, and I think that's... You know that the backlash you get from Last Jedi and everyone and Disney has to regroup and it's like okay, bring Abrams back in and you know mm-hmm. you make her a somebody because then at least someone will be right. happy. I think I think the lack of continuity was really what drove that force because everyone like especially once the last movie of the trilogy came out and people were like, "What the f? You literally said all this stuff about her being a nobody and you know Snoke is already dead so he's obviously a nobody." And now he's a Palpatine clone, and somehow Palpatine, mm-hmm. who we haven't heard about, you know, Palpatine's out there still. Like, what right. the f is going on with Star Wars? And I think that's really what pissed a lot of people off was, what the fuck are we doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people pointed at like characters like Rose Tico and Finn for having like no bearing on the plot whatsoever and being underwhelming because they weren't used to the best of their ability and i look at rose tico as a classic case of like what are we doing with a character because she was a minor character she obviously wasn't in the like you know front lines of all three of the movies because i think she shows up in last jedi if i remember correctly yep and she shows up and she's a somebody who has a valid reason for fighting in the rebellion and she's you know her sister dies and it gives her a fighting spirit. I think it would have been way more poignant if they sacrificed her in the end of that movie to show, you know, I think more people would have liked Rose Tico. And I think more the, people were expecting that. Yeah, that's probably true. I was expecting it towards the end when Finn's about to sacrifice himself. I would have much rather her be the one to sacrifice herself and actually go through with it. Not out right. of my disdain for the character, but I think a lot more people would have liked the character in general if she had that arc where you know she gave the ultimate sacrifice for the you know resistance right because you know it shows that one person could have you know changed the tide of the resistance and put a fighting spirit it would have given finn something as you know it would have opened up finn a little bit more by seeing her do it he could have probably gone some had some character arc in the next movie but Again, there was a lack of continuity in those movies in terms of, you know, episode to episode to episode. Right, there was no story. There was no overarching story other than it wasn't cohesive because you you have the First Order doing stuff and you have Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker, you know, the end of Force Awakens is the start of The Last Jedi. But, like, you know, I know losing Carrie Fisher had stuff to do with their creative decisions. I can't imagine it didn't. But either way, like, you have, you have years to, like, get these things off the ground and figure out a cohesive story. And instead, what they did is, let's go episode to episode and give everybody a a sort of, you know, playtime in the Star Wars universe, right? And that would have been great if they did it as, you know, individual series or movies where they bring in, like, you know, Lord and Miller to do, you know, solo, and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, then you get, you know, 
Taika Waititi to come in and do another series. It's like, or a TV show or movie or whatever. Whatever you decide right. to do, that's great. But, like, there needs to be some continuity, at least in the Skywalker saga, for people to not hate it. And I think it really set the bar for what was going forward because I think a lot of people were really just you know they looked at the people at the top and naturally they pointed to kathleen kennedy because she was the head honcho and a lot of people also pointed to a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that came out after the fact where you know the idea of gender politics came into play in star wars Mm -hmm. where you know people felt in the fandom that it was forced by creative you know or the the suits if you will to make creative decisions that you know forced you know, people into roles that were only there and created in order to essentially fill a quota of we need to force some diversity into Star Wars. And whether or not you want to agree with that, that seems like it's kind of what happened based on what some of the insider stuff has come out and what a lot of the Star Wars people who granted, maybe you don't take what they're saying as truth because they're pissed off about Star Wars and how it's turned out but a lot of what had come out was you know we don't want gender politics in our star wars and it's like well granted we live in a more progressive time than the 80s and the 70s when the movies first came out right Mm -hmm. you know obviously times have changed it's okay to have that diversity in star wars now it should have been there from the beginning but you know, a lot of people in the fandom felt that things like, you know, you know, maybe not Finn, but like Rose Tico was definitely a push for diversity. Just shoehorn as much diversity as we can into Star Wars. And I think a lot of people kind of looked at it in that way, erroneously, because like, why does it matter? We had plenty of strong women characters in Star Wars before Princess Leia, Padme Amidala, Mon Mothma, the list goes on, right? You know, there's plenty of strong female characters in the Clone Wars too. Mm-hmm. That which came out before the, you know, sequels. Right. So I don't get it. I think that a lot of the, you know, just a lot of the feedback that you know came about Star Wars was a lot of the traditional sort of demographic felt abandoned in the sense that erroneously the you know the 18 to let's say 45 year old white male who was the target demographic for star wars i would be willing to bet you right felt like all of that forced hypothetical forced diversity was a slight to them or that the gender politics was a slight to them and i think they're wrong but it does certainly feel like a lot of the mismanagement that came from Lucasfilm may have been, you know, perpetuated by those people as well. Right. And I, you know, as a Star Wars fan, I was going to feed whatever bullshit they fed me. Like that's, you know, I was going to feast upon it because, you know, right. That's just how I am as a consumer of Star Wars. Even if it's a car wreck, I want to see it. Right. You know, like I buy all the video games I play, play through them and, you know, watch all the movies and tv shows right and i don't you know occasionally i'll bitch and i'll go i didn't like this or i like that but the idea that there's too much gender politics in star wars is insane to me because i know we've talked about gender politics in our star wars before 
but like why does that stuff sort of matter right right like why, especially now like why is it mattering now where we've had 40 plus years of star wars where it's been happening like why is yeah, it right now I think, this is a problem? i think a lot of people just pointed towards ooh, kathleen kennedy you know has executive control and it's no longer george and you know she's able to you know pigeonhole these things and that's why there was a lot of talk about you know her getting her own series where she oversaw stuff and people were like she's just gonna fill it with gender politic crap and like more of holdo which strong female character target demographic didn't like that right and a lot of the target i think a lot of the target demographic didn't like ray because of that same reason you know strong female character and i think that's you know the star wars fandom by and large you know is ass backwards in their sort of thinking about you know ooh, they're trying to force this stuff upon us and it's like well no they're they're trying to appeal to other audiences beyond you they're not doing it to you know slight you in this at all they're just trying to diversify their content because they know who their target demographic is. And whether or not you feel abandoned doesn't mean that, you know, they didn't try to appeal to you at some point. This I noticed a lot of the people that, you know, couldn't get behind the sequels were super in on Mando. And I wonder if that has to do with, like, you know, there's talk of Kathleen Kennedy kind of having her hands out of that. But I don't know. It's the Star Wars fandom is incredibly touchy feely in terms of what they like and what they dislike, because it seems like a lot of the popular voices anyway on it are, you know, white dudes, and there's plenty of, you know, females and other, uh, you know, women minorities, all these different groups of people out there who love Star Wars, right? But I think some of the loudest voices are, you know. And the most like staunch supporters of oh get your gender politics out of my Star Wars are the white dudes who just like are, right. don't have a clue. No, you know what I mean? that's I I think that's in any fandom that's and any similar situation like Star Wars is, which mm-hmm. granted there's probably not a lot. It's definitely the same type of people that are making the problems. Mm-hmm. I think Lucasfilm sort of did adapt to the negative feedback well by releasing Mando and trying to get away from that sort of let's stop making movies for a bit and let's focus on tv shows right let's focus on clone wars and mando and bad batch and obi-wan and boba fett let's stick to media that we know people are gonna like right and let's play it safe for a bit and then we can start Mm -hmm. releasing our other stuff like well let's you know they have a cassian indoor series that they want to do and they have you know right and lando uh, and Lando when they have another show that was going to have uh, Cara Dune in it but not anymore it's right. going to be Harrison Dula and all that stuff yeah. so they're they're making changes to their slate and they're going to you know hook line sinker everybody in on that you know, book of Boba Fett Bad Batch and get them used yeah. to the stuff that is going to sell I think Mando was a nice change of pace because it was fresh it was you know Mando mm-hmm. was the perfect thing to get the you know change of pace and you know cleanse the palate of the toxic star wars fan because they're gonna say yeah we loved it and i didn't hear any ill gripe about you know cara dune's character until the end and i'm sure there are plenty of people who are gonna point to it like yeah yeah there was all this gripe hindsight but like until you know you know the end of that 
Right. Yeah, I I don't think you know the only thing I think I heard bad about like a uh, actress in Mando was a lot of people were really pissed off about um, the wig that was uh, given to the actress who played Bo-Katan, and like I was like, oh, that's cool. such a like that's such like a dumb thing to complain about. Yeah, see, like I I never thought about that or never like that was never a problem for me like i had i had a problem with season two of mando but it was just some of the mandalorians mm-hmm. or one of them like like bo right. was never like i didn't look at the wig i didn't look at the hair like it was fine mm-hmm. i, I that was didn't like the only that was the only feedback that i heard like negative right. about any of that i, and I was like see, really I like didn't, it, that was never a a bother for me like my, my problem with with that part of the series was the other other mandalore with her just because i think mm-hmm. sasha banks is a shitty actress but like but yeah but like nobody nobody i'm in that star toxic wars, guy nobody in star wars like cared about that at least from what i remember like i the only thing that really stood out to me was like i remember people being like what was up with boca dan grease's hair like what <laughs> I was like, all right, whatever. If we're bitching about that, we're in all right shape, I think, as a fandom. Right. But I don't like to, you know, there are plenty of people who, you know, will kvetch until the cows come home about Kathleen Kennedy being, you know, her, her needing to be fired and all that stuff for mishandling the sequels. And I thought, you know, given the shitty pre-prod that happened there, and the, I like maybe, maybe there should have been talk about what to do with star wars i think that's sort of why bob Iger stuck around for a little bit is how do we fix this mess that we created right Uh, because there was that ceo switcheroo that happened there Mm -hmm. at the in the middle of that and i think he stuck around only to try and figure out how to fix what happened there see i think i think a lot of the problem is with that fandom and their issues with kathleen kennedy is that that same fandom is also the fandom that loves marvel for, like a good majority of it mm-hmm. and she's not kevin feige who i think makes that, uh, movies who just connect in some way or another and he's got his hand in all of them and is you know making great films and then she's obviously not the same person so the way that I she makes films a is lot of but... people I, a lot of people i think in the fandom look at her as someone who rode the coattails of lucas and spielberg mm-hmm. and i think that's she definitely had she definitely worked her ass off working for those guys oh yeah of course and she definitely owes being in the business partly to the work that she got from those guys but the work she did got her in that position and i'm pretty sure lucas was the one who said yeah you take over and he had some input as to who should lead lucasfilm once he left it and you know i think a lot of people kind of just uh, the, the sexist way of thinking is oh well she just you know she was tight with Spielberg and Lucas, of course she was going to get a job in that sort of, and it's wrong. Is like I, no, there's definitely been a lot. She busted her ass to get there. Right, and I've definitely heard a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, well that's why she has a job, and it's like, well no, it's yes and no. Yes, because <laughs> they, they did give her a break in the industry and got her in and helped her, you know, but she's there for a reason still, now that those right. guys are completely, their hands are washed of Star Wars. Right, like, you know she I mean? has put in the work. She belongs there. And, you know, there are other issues with the Star Wars fandom where even their story group is kind of toxic because, you know, mm-hmm. the, their story group is all fandom people, basically. 
uh, like Pablo Hidalgo went at went like full on went at some of the people who reacted in the way they did to uh, Luke Skywalker appearing in the end of Mando. It's been out long enough that I think we can talk about that spoiler free. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people like were emotional about that because they said, you know what, that's what Star Wars needs to be. There needs to be this element of you know tap into my childhood and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And Pablo Hidalgo was putting out tweets basically saying, you know. You shouldn't be emotional over stuff like this. And it's like, well, sit on it, Pablo. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, you know, a lot of people grew up on Star Wars. And, of course, seeing Luke Skywalker at the end of Mando was going to elicit that. We're in the business of eliciting reactions out of people and making people feel things, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that we shouldn't be emotional over Star Wars is crazy. I get kind of what he's saying. Like, we shouldn't have these negative sort of emotions of, ooh, you know, you know we, Kathleen Kennedy is inserting her gender politics. Like, you shouldn't have those sort of emotions for it, but you should genuinely have some sort of reaction emotionally to Luke Skywalker appearing or this character appearing in this other piece of media. Like, when an Ezra Bridger inevitably comes back, it's going to elicit that same reaction. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to the extent that Luke Skywalker resonates with everybody, but to the true fan, Ezra Bridger coming back eventually in the Ahsoka series or whatever comes down the line, right. will absolutely elicit that sort of response. Not me, sure. absolutely not to the Luke Skywalker extent, but still, <laughs> like you should be emotional about that which you care about, but you shouldn't be a rabid fan about that sort of stuff. Uh, I don't know. I feel like Star Wars as a fandom. At least they're not doing like crazy stuff. Like, yeah, there was a petition that circulated to redo one of the movies when it came out. It may have been Last Jedi and like decanonize it. But like, I did. I think they were. I think they were smart and just said, "Let's look ever forward and let's not," you know. Right. Like you're not. You're not going to get the Snyder cut of the Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker. Well, there was talk of getting a JJ cut of something, if I remember correctly. Like. A, a JJ cut of like a four hour cut of the last movie and it was like what are you doing right because there, they, they, there was so much shit cut from it but like right they brought in like Hayden for it and movie. stuff they brought in Hayden for it and that's what people Hayden Christians and coming back apparently was going to save the, the only, movie the only thing that I want from that movie is I want the last like the big bad end scene to change like because they you hear the voices of the Jedi's Mm-hmm. But there were actual people on set for that scene, and I want to see that. But that's just a me thing, mm-hmm. right. and like, but I don't want to see. I don't want to see seventeen other scenes added into it to, you know, add or detract from the movie. Right, but you know that if they released a JJ cut that was five and a half hours, people would absolutely watch it. Oh, for sure, I'd be one of them. Like hands down, yeah, day of. That's but, my point. <laughs> but like, do you know what I mean? But like, I'm not. I guess I'm not a part of that fandom that's like really clenching for it. Right, and I know there are plenty of people who would, you know, completely be like, yes, this is exactly what Star Wars needs, and I don't think that's exactly what Star Wars needs. They just need to bury the movies, and that's why, if you notice, they're thinking about going the opposite direction, and they're not making anything that's really an offshoot of what happened in the events of the sequels, because they're going backwards, and they're doing, you know, you know, Ahsoka is getting a series that's going to take place after who knows what. It'll probably be flashbacky or whatever. Obi-Wan is right. getting a series where it takes place after episode four. 
So, you know, there were before episode four leading up to mm-hmm. the events of that. So there's plenty of other areas they're exploring in terms of the time of Star Wars that they're kind of absolving themselves of the end, at least for now, which is smart because down the road people might look and go, all right, well, maybe we can return to that area of time and not worry about people freaking the fuck out over, you know, oh my god, the First Order is still here. Mm-hmm. Like, really? Right. Oh, it's it's crazy what the fandom is like cooking up and these like crazy fan theory. I, I listen to all the fan theories cause they're hilarious in terms of like what people suggest. And in hindsight, it's great to go back and watch Snoke theory videos and just see what people are concocting. And now they're pulling shit out of like thin air and, you know, old books from freaking like before revenge of the Sith came out and stuff. You know what I mean? Like this is all these crazy sort of notions that people have about, and it's not you know everybody gets invested in whether it's marvel star wars dc any of that stuff it's great that they're invested and they found something that they like in that regard but when you start really like questioning the all right are they really doing what's you know every star wars fan thinks that they could have wrote a better draft of last jedi than jj abrams (laughs) and every one of them is wrong right very few people could have fixed star wars given what you know situation was created by that movie and i think the the logistics end of it was they should have had a more cohesive plan and they should have got everybody in the room and said here's how we connect everything you know you find a way and you throw as much money as possible at figuring out how to get jj abrams ryan johnson and colin trevorrow to sit in a room and just mm-hmm. figure it out hash it out you get a week and a right, half to kind of Instead of just yeah. JJ coming in and being like, no, nah, you don't get your move anymore. Yeah. Well, I don't think they had a choice towards the end. The fans were pissed and they needed to figure out a solution. And I'm sure it came down the pipe from Iger and Kathleen Kennedy too, saying we need to fix this shit or we're going to lose a bunch of money on this next movie. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think fandoms are, uh, they're crazy because you can have, like we've, we've talked about this all the time. We've talked about, you know, We've gone from toxic fandoms to, you know, fandoms that do good mm-hmm. for film and for, you know, groups of people and, hell, even the redesign of a hedgehog. But mm-hmm. there's also the people that are, you know, you know, causing drama that change studio exactly. plans, change, you know, plans for movies in general, I think. And just their... I, I, it's honestly, it's a negative attitude that just creates toxicity around franchises and mm-hmm. allows things to get skewed in a way where studios don't think that they're going to be able to make money because this group of people is just like, nah, we're not, we're done with your product now. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 definitely a weird dynamic that fandoms create. Right, so. and I think, I think the at the crux of it is that now with you know youtube and twitter and all these other sites how anybody with even like average sort of you know chops at that sort of content creation anybody with a mic can sit down and record their thoughts even on their smartphone Mm -hmm. as much as i hate to admit it like 
anybody with a smartphone can sit down and record them talking about Star Wars or talking about a superhero franchise right. or character for like 30 minutes and upload it to name your platform here. Everybody gets to have a platform now. You know, right. I don't right, think... look at us. We're talking about toxic fandoms. Which is... Exactly. And I, I think that's sort of what I'm getting at is anybody can have an opinion, which is why I come back to why does my opinion matter? You know, like two hours into this, why does my opinion matter? Why are people still listening if they've gotten right. this far, right? Why does my opinion matter as much as the next guy? And that's sort of why I don't, you know, I don't have a Twitter and I don't, you know, social media is something that I look at as you know, we're addicted to in a society and we mm -hmm. constantly seek that validation. We constantly seek people, you know, constantly looking in at us in our lives and whatnot. So at what point does that take a toll on us as a society, right? Yeah. And at what point, especially when it comes to consumption of media, if we're going to react so negatively to that which we like even, because there are plenty of people who like Star Wars and were disappointed. And rightfully so, you are entitled to be disappointed in anything you right. want to be disappointed in. But at the same time, like, you choose to get attention by using your platform. And there's nothing wrong with that. But right. when other people start latching on to you and you surround yourself with that negativity and people who view, you know, oh, I don't like I don't like what Kathleen Kennedy's doing, hashtag fire Kathleen Kennedy, and you get more of that and you get more people bandwagoning on and you, you create these toxic fandoms because you chose to be negative once or twice or three or five right. times online and you started to, you know, get labeled in that crowd and you start to read because whenever you tweet something out with a hashtag you know a lot of people click the hashtag and see what that's all about you know, even when right. something and trends it's like men. even when something trends it's like well what the hell is this trending for and you just see like chaos of just people right. bandwagoning on some dumb bullshit all the time yeah. and I think we as a society are so we feel so safe in these groups that think the same way we do especially when it comes to hating on movies which you know there are plenty of bad movies like i said earlier probably like two hours ago now you know <laughs> i feel qualified to go on letterboxd and write about every mad every shitty bad movie i see right right why did like but i know like maybe one or two people read it and get a laugh out of it but at the same time like you know there are people with hundreds of twitter followers who just or thousands even who they're constantly the, the validation they get from these people who agree with them about the negativity that they continue to perpetuate is insane to me and granted there are a lot of people who you know, use their platform for good and that's not to diminish them but there are a lot of people in particular who continually bitch and continually complain and there are just subsections of the internet namely like reddit where there are just people who continue to dogpile on this content and just keep at it. And it's like, how can you live your life and not be miserable at everything you see when you look at something you once loved, you know, and have fond memories of something? And maybe that has something to do with it because the nostalgia will never live up to what they create afterwards, sure. Right. But at what point do you go, 
I can live and make my peace with the fact that they're still going to make Star Wars content now. They made it before, and they're going to make it after I give it up. You know what right. I mean? So at what point do you have to make a peace with yourself and say, I can stop being negative about <laughs> this, that, or the other? Right, and, and I think that's the question we ask, but I don't, I don't think people in fandoms that do that ask that question and no because they're hyper fixed on they're hyper fixed on being negative and being part of Mm -hmm. that or you know or doing good they're granted they're fandoms when i when i see the word fan i have to remind myself that the the root word fan is part of a larger word fanatic Mm -hmm. yep and fanatics usually are hyper fixated on this thing and they like it to the point that they will defend their crazy notions about it right with strangers on the internet because they are crazy and that's what you know that's just what they do you know mm-hmm. what i mean so it's a, it's a case of misery loving company exactly and it's totally let me spread what that it to is. you right. exactly it's how can i give my you know ha- we have we live in a society that is very much happiness at the misfortune of others <clears throat> and even just our own misfortune. There's nothing better than being petty and miserable. We see as a society is, we glorify that sort of behavior. Right. Fandom is much the same. Whether they're getting behind, you know, a movie, or you know, bad animation, or you know, bands, or whatever the subject matter may be. Fandoms, you know, you have to really assess: is what they're doing for good? Especially, and that's how I sort of weigh whether or not I want to like even uh, like subscribe to people's content. Even is is their message, you know, what is their message? Right. Are they? Is this? Do I like this person because they're just being miserable? I'm sure there's a good amount of things that I subscribe to that that's why. <clears throat> exactly. It's it's fun. It, mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, to say. Um. But I think that's I think that's a thing. People look for personalities, and sometimes, especially like on a YouTube channel, like like we're doing this, and we're just having a conversation. We're not necessarily mm-hmm. being negative or positive about a certain thing. Right. But people who are inherently just rip shit and negative about every little thing, I think those are the people that people look to see because it's like, okay, what did this person say, and why is he mad today? And right. And I think I think the same goes for the adverse people who are overly happy. People are like, okay, like what's what's going on today why are you happy yeah well i think part of society too is like you know because everybody is so down on their luck or negative it's like you see someone happy and it's like what the f is wrong with that person right why are they so chipper what what is their problem right right and maybe that's just you know our society values misery loves company and it definitely i think it definitely is and i think i think that's you know, to put a bow on the whole topic of what we've been talking about this whole time is that fandoms can be good or bad, and it's all about what company is kept within it. And most of the time, it mm-hmm. seems misery is in that company and people, sure. you know, looking to bitch about something. And sometimes that bitching leads to good things, and sometimes it leads to bad things, but it's all, it's all about those people that are expressing their opinion and getting everyone else to agree with them. Mm-hmm. We seek the validation of those who are also miserable with us. Yes, For and sure. I, I think I think at the root of the problem, that's you know that's what makes fandoms toxic, and that's what makes them great. 
and the same mm-hmm. time. So. Yep, for sure. So with that, I, do you have anything that you want to say to just wrap up? Honestly, I think we kind of nailed it. We talked about, let's just kind of recap. What did we talk about? We kind of talked so about, we, from the get-go, we talked about, I don't even remember Snyder where cut, we started. We Snyder Cut. Sonic. Yeah, we talked about how, you know, fandoms, just to kind of put a bow on things and kind of recap every point we've made. It started with the Snyder Cut. And I think that by, and I'll lump, I'll lump even Sonic into this. At what point does a studio have to, you know, pacify their audience? I think it's really a question that, I don't have the answers to. I would love the answers to. Maybe someone who has a little more street cred than I do in the industry would have a better example of, you know, at what point is too far? Maybe someone with a PR background would know better. Right. At what point do you disregard negative feedback? At what point do you realize, okay, we need to fix this or we're going to lose money? Mm-hmm. At what point do you do things to better your image in the case of Diana? It, you know, you definitely earn some fans and some support of fans by doing something like that. Right. And I think throughout all of these, at least three instances, I'm interested in looking more into why do these phenomenon happen? And why are companies willing to listen in some cases? And why do they choose to do things in others that maybe not, you know, what is the threshold for we need to act upon something? Right. And is it the bottom line? Is it money? What is it? What sort of drives this? There are plenty of unanswered questions, I think, even in our discourse about, well, what separates a good and a bad fandom even? You know? Right. Are all fandoms inherently bad or are the things that they're doing good? I personally hold in my belief that fanatics of certain things do do more harm than good for media. They do do good things, for sure. But I think, certainly, the bad do upstage the good. Oh, for sure. 100%. And I think that's sort of kind of the point that I would like to end on, is when when we're talking about fandoms in particular, are the ones that are, you know, doing good, doing charitable things, supporting, you know, talent that's going through rough times or... You know, supporting lower, you know, budget studios or what have you, that are keeping things coming out, buying content, whatever they may be, to support even small creators, or yeah. big creators that need the support. At what point does, you know, everything we hear about all the negative sort of backlash and you know PR disasters that happen, at what point does that stuff? You know, why does that stuff always seem to overshadow the good? Right. There's plenty more to talk about in terms of fandoms and whatnot. I still hold in my belief that, unfortunately, those, you know, bad sort of, you know, crazy fandoms that do the negative sort of pushback at the studio until they get what they want and, you know, have these cutthroat sort of opinions and... Even fandoms can get cutthroat, where they're at each other's throats. Star Wars, 100%. People were at each other's throats over the Ray Mary Sue thing and the Who's Your Snoke theory thing. And when fandoms start to break down and they start to go at each other's throats, 
we hear about that a lot more than we hear about the charity the charitable ones or the ones that you know do good things or support people who genuinely do good and rally behind those who do good yep so 100% fandoms are good and bad inherently and unfortunately the bad ones do take the cake right and i i agree with you i think i think that's a good point to leave off on it's a, a nice reminder that that's what can happen mm-hmm. um and I, I think you're absolutely right and i like no doubt about it and so with that we're gonna leave you with that to just sit and think about mm-hmm. um i am your host andrew noons that is john hughes and this has been movie madness